Thank you, Aziz, and thank you to 20 Summers for giving me the gift of the residency and giving us all the what I hope is to be a gift of this conversation. So uh, thank you all for being here and showing your support. Uh, we are going to just have some time to uh, get some questions in before you all get some questions in. And I should let you know before we begin in earnest that we've all brought knives to a gunfight. So if you do have a question, I think we should all probably keep them tight and keep them to a question, something you have a real burning desire to know. So. We'll set them up, and I imagine someone will knock them down on the other end of a microphone. But uh, just from the beginning, I, I'd love to start with the most important news of the day in the belly of the whale. <laughs> so you've seen the news, right? Whether you're reading uh, the Cape Cod Times or the Hindustan Times, or it's absolutely biblical. So I just wonder, on your way over, did you have any wildlife encounters? <laughs> you mean since I left New York? No. Or at um, any moment. No. When I, when I got up this morning after a refreshing two-hour sleep, um, I, I turned on the news, and I thought I didn't hear it correctly. <laughs> and then it came up again, and I thought, is there so little news in the world that this is the... And then on New York One, which is a local uh, TV station in New York, they held up the New York Post. Um, which, of course, you're never happy to see two hours sleep. <laughs> and it was the cover story of the New York Post. And I thought, and the, the, the newscaster is explaining it, and I thought, who believes this? And then, and then I thought, I suddenly remembered, like, when there is so little news mm -hmm. that that is a front-page story, it doesn't bode well, because I remember the summer of shark attacks, where every two seconds was a shark sure. attack. And so to the extent that people in New York thought a shark might appear in their living room, um, <laughs> and then that fall was September 11th. So I hope that uh -oh. this trivial news of the man swallowed by a whale and then uh, apparently expelled by the whale. Um, apparently this man is from here, because someone said to me, don't say anything bad about this man, because he's from here. Um, <laughs> so, um, I, I don't say anything bad about this man. I, I can say that I don't particularly believe the story. Um, but um, I'm glad the whale expelled the man. Oh, I wonder where the whale is from if the man is from here. But you are the designated New Yorker, as has been written. And uh, you mentioned the post, which it's never good to see anyway. But I'm wondering, in all of these headlines and stories that you've been prominent in for at least the last nine months now, you can't read anything with, about you without seeing the Renaissance, the Fran Renaissance. Netflix has introduced you to an entirely new generation and population. So I'm wondering, what does it feel like to be the subject of your own personal Renaissance? You know, <clears throat> I haven't actually thought of it that way, mm. uh, nor have I read these things. Uh, that's not an accident. Uh, well, I mean, I have myself never seen Netflix, mm -hmm. so because I do not have an internet connection or whatever you call it, a Wi-Fi connection in my house. Um, so I, I think I was unaware of how gigantic Netflix is. Right. Um, and the day that the, uh, the series was released or whatever they call it, uh, the first phone call I got was from Dubai. <laughs> So, <clears throat> not from a native of Dubai, um, from a friend of mine, also a friend of Aziz, who was there, a journalist. Mm -hmm. And I said, they have Netflix in Dubai? <laughs> like, 
that's the first thing they have? How about some freedom before? Um, <laughs> the, next, the next call was from Saigon, and I began to realize it was all over the world. And so, yes, it's a very different thing for me, of course. Um, but more surprising to me than you know, Dubai or Saigon is that I do speaking dates, um, or I do when you're allowed to do speaking dates. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so penetrated the world, Netflix, that my agent called me the other day and said, you have a date in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And let me assure you, I've been doing this since I'm 27. I don't <laughs> go to the South. So like once in a while I go to Atlanta, once in a while in New Orleans. So I said, what are you talking about? I can't sell Arkansas. So he said, it's Fayetteville, Frank. I said, yeah. He said, it's a college town. I said, they have colleges in Arkansas? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't seem to have taken too much. Um, so I'm more surprised that I'm going to Fayetteville, Arkansas, than that someone called me from Dubai. Oh, the world we live in, they got colleges in Fayetteville now. I'm thinking of other things that seem to be enjoying a renaissance, if that's the right word, but a few years ago, some of you may remember, we were in a race to outer space against the Russians and their cosmonauts, but now there's a trio of billionaires in a race to outer space, namely Bezos and, who is it, Bezos, Musk, and uh, the other guy. Thank you, it's a smart crowd. Who's so, the other guy? Branson, the virgin, oh. the virgin yeah, and guy. If, and if they didn't come back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll drive them to the airport. <laughs> like, nothing could be better for the globe than that if they go to outer space and just like, stay there. So someone bid $28 million on this seat recently to go up with Bezos on their Blue Origin. Uh, at 28, and it took seven minutes for it to reach $28 million. They sealed it, they got a seat, but I wonder if you would accept a seat on the Blue Origin going off to the unknown. Let me assure you, if I had $8 million, I would pay it not to sit next to Jeff, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> I sat across from him at dinner one night and that was enough. <laughs> Moving on, <laughs> or is there a story there? <laughs> Thinking of another thing that seems to be old is new again. Biden is out there doing diplomacy, shaking hands for the first time, as we all are in a room together with other folks. And it's gotten people thinking about what he's up against and the plans he's making. I'm wondering if you subscribe to this notion that he may be FDR 2.0. Sadly not. Mm. You know, um, as long as he's not Donald Trump. You know, I mean, the reason everybody, I'm not everybody, but no. I mean, I personally never liked Joe Biden. Um, I didn't have to be reminded of Anita Hill. I never forgot Anita Hill. I mm -hmm. never liked him. Um, in his heyday, he was a hack, and now I adore him. <laughs> okay? So then, you know, uh, but he's not Roosevelt. And he, you know, and it's also obviously not the same era. And also, when he, you know, he goes to London, he has to meet Boris Johnson. Mm -hmm. So it's not just here that's falling apart, you know. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I'm very happy he's a president. I mean, the second that they announced that he won, at least to the people who actually believe that he won, um, it's amazing how much I stopped thinking about politics. It's like, okay, you t I'm not going to have to stay on this 24 hours a day, you know, in a constant rage. And um, so a lot of people pointed out that he's boring and what could be better? You know, I mean, he is boring. And uh, I mean, his plans that he's announced, right. you know, I'm, I'm only assuming that, you know, it's like a negotiation where, you know, he wants, you know, a thousand dollars. So he's asking for a trillion dollars right. because he's going to get a thousand dollars. 
But so far, he's been perfect, don't you think? <laughs> so far, so good. Like, he didn't get swallowed by a whale, so that's a good thing. So I'm thinking those folks are meeting all these world leaders. They're in a group together right now. I wonder if you think, as a famous reader that you are, if there is anything you think should be required reading for this group before they all get together. You know, I'm just happy that, you know, we have a president who possibly knows how to read. Um, so that, you know, possibly. the previous administration, you felt that it was like maybe they were ripe for a literacy project, you know. Uh, so that um, I, I, I doubt that, you know, uh, Biden's a great reader, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I don't care what he says. Um, but I feel he is able to read, you know, and that... That's a step ahead, Whoa. you know. I mean, generally, I don't think, you know, American presidents are not noted usually for being big readers. I mean, Obama was an exception to that. Right. Um, I can't think of, uh, you know, they write books, but they don't read them. This is true of, like, if you look at the bestseller list in the Times, which maybe you don't, uh, which I advise that you don't, there's <laughs> often, like, three or four books on the bestseller list written by Republican politicians. And I think, who buys these books? You know, no one who votes for these people has ever read a book. <laughs> you know, why start now? You know, <laughs> um, I, th I think reading in general is, would be good for a president, you know, or in fact, for anyone. For anyone. Well, speaking of reading, there was, I guess, something we couldn't read because uh, about a week ago, Naomi Osaka famously now said, no, she wasn't doing a presser uh, after a tournament. And I guess shockwaves went through the world of tennis. They dropped their balls after that. I'm wondering, as someone who believes in the power of no, what you think about that? I'm not the biggest sports fan, mm -hmm. as you might imagine. Um, but I knew who she was, right. of course. Um, and, you know, of course, I was aware. I mean, I saw this news. Mm -hmm. um, I have to tell you, I mean, I, I'm sure this is unpopular. I thought it was a little on the bratty side, I have to tell you. I mean... Um, I don't understand what these people think. You know, it's apparently, I didn't know this since I've never seen the contract of a professional tennis player, <laughs> but it's apparently in their contract, contract that you have to do this. And if you don't do this, how do you think I would ever have heard of you? You know, I mean, so um, I understand. I, what it's really strikes me about people that age, she's like 22 or something, right? right? They're so sensitive. You know, I mean, it's like, and I think this comes from their parents you know, who are younger than me. I mean, parents of someone that age are younger than me. Um, people my age, our parents didn't care how we felt. <laughs> like, I mean, they didn't like us that much. I mean, so that, like, I don't ever remember uh, anyone's parents ever asking how they felt. So um, no one, you know, no one ever asked us a question at all. You know? so it was just, you know, being a kid when I was a kid was a series of instructions from morning till night. You know, um, so that, <laughs> I know that these kids, um, they're, they're always telling you how they feel. Right. They tell me how they feel. And truthfully, why would I care how they feel? <laughs> um, and they, and they also, you know, seek, I mean, they seek my advice. I don't mean this tennis player. Um, yeah. But I mean, just even in the street, kids stop me and always have, even before Netflix. Yeah. You know, I don't know what to do. You know, what do you think I should do, Fran? I kind of want to be a filmmaker, but I maybe kind of want to be a writer. Um, and I think, why do I care what you do? <laughs> you know, and I think they see someone that there's their parents' age and they just think, I care about them. Um, <clears throat> and they also think it's important. Yeah. In other words, they have a sense of themselves that, you know, really accomplished people don't even have. 
So, um, and also, in a way, obviously, it's better to be you know, young than old. But on the other mm. hand, the future doesn't look that fabulous to me. So that, I mean, unless these guys stay in outer space. But if, if they come back, it's going to be very bad. So that, like, I mean, if you just read the news about the environment, it's like so terrifying, you know, that I always like think, like, I don't know, I don't think you should be a filmmaker, but if I was your age, I'd look for water. Because apparently, we're running out. Like, I'm always, like, it's, it, it takes a while to realize how old you really are. Yeah. So the way that you really know is you'll hear someone say, in 40 years, there'll be no water left. And at first you panic, and then you think, I don't understand why there'll be no water left because I think, did we drink all the water? Like, I know that people my age took all the drugs. So I know that. Like, we took all the drugs, we ruined everything. I know that. Not me, but the other people my age. But um, I don't understand why there's going to be no water. And if you know, you could explain to me why there's going to be no water because you are going to need the water. <laughs> They're going to need the water. They need direction and a shoulder to cry on. I wonder, what, what did you imagine you would be when you grew up? Kids are running up asking you for advice or what they should do. There was no friend to aspire to. There wasn't, for now, they think they want to be you. But what did you want to be when you grew up? I just wanted to get out of my house. Yeah. And that was really not a problem because I got thrown out of high school and then thrown out of the house. So... Um, Really, the thing I really wanted to do my whole... I wanted to be a writer my whole yeah. life, and I also wanted to live in New York. And so if you're... Now people, you know, say they have a dream. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't say we had a dream, unless you actually had a dream. But <laughs> I, mean, I don't actually... I've never really slept long enough to have a dream. But um, I had a goal, which was I said from, like, 10 or 11 years old, I want to live in New York. Yeah. And so if that is your goal, it's easily attainable. You got on a bus... You moved to New York. So right away, I attained my dream of living in New York. Um, and I, you know, I decided I wanted to be a writer as soon as I realized that people wrote books. I was not aware of that when mm. I was like three or four years old. I thought books were just there like trees. But as soon as I thought people wrote books, it seemed so godlike to me, like mm. trees. Well, people don't make trees, but they make books. I'd like to be that person. I'm thinking about one of the best to ever do it, a person who, to me, in my estimation, from afar, was godlike, your great friend, Toni Morrison. And as we're sitting here now in June of 2021, and we lost her in August of 2019, I'm wondering, just thinking about last summer and everything that's happened since then with the global movement, what kind of conversations do you think you and Tony would have had about everything that has happened from George Floyd till now? Well, I mean, when the pandemic happened, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I probably talked to Tony on the phone at least once a day for over 40 years. Yeah. So when the pandemic happened, you know, and of course it was shocking to me and to everyone else, I suppose, except maybe Jeff Bezos. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, Errol McDonald, who was her editor, my editor, called me right at the beginning. Yeah. And I said, don't you miss Tony more than ever? He said, yes. I said, because here's the thing. I don't know how to think about this. Mm -hmm. You know, I know how I feel about this, but, you know, I know the difference between thinking and feeling, unlike perhaps this tennis player. Uh, <laughs> and I said, Tony would know how to think about this. Yeah. And Errol said the same thing. Yes, that's true. Because 
it took me forever to know how to think about this, because even though Tony was, you know, 20 years older than me, um, she wasn't old enough to remember the last pandemic. Right. But Tony would right away have said, this is the, you know, she, because Tony, I know I've said this many times, and I, I say it again because it's true, you know, in my life I've known many very smart people, but I've only ever known one wise person, and that was Tony. Yeah. So it takes more than intelligence to know something like, something really new. Um, uh, I, I think things like George Floyd, I think it would not have surprised Tony at all. You know, I mean, I, I, the only reason people are surprised by that is because now they see it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's only because the invention of the iPhone, you know, it's not like this is a new thing. You know, the, the, the coronavirus is new. You know, cops killing black people, old. Okay, so I, I, I totally would not have been surprised by that at all. Well, you mentioned the coronavirus being, being new, and it's another of those strange things that it's almost 40 years, right, uh, that we're experiencing this pandemic 40 years after the AIDS epidemic. And it's a really strange sort of balance and continuum. And I'm wondering if there's anything that feels old is new again for you looking at 40 years ago in the onset of the virus and now with the pandemic of corona, COVID? Not at all. Yeah. I mean, when it first happened, a lot of people asked me, this is like AIDS, right? At the beginning, it's nothing like AIDS. You know, I mean, first of all, people care about this. You know, I think what people don't understand is at the beginning of AIDS, no one cared about it. When I say no one, I mean the people who had it cared about it. And, the, you know, it was so tiny, the number of people who were paying attention to this at all, um, and certainly not the government, and certainly not... I mean, there were many doctors who wouldn't treat AIDS patients. They wouldn't do it. There were, you know, so that, uh, that made it incredibly different. Um, and also something, you know, AIDS is contagious, but it's not airborne, right. you know, so that, you know, even though people, especially my friends, you know, who are in the forefront of getting AIDS, um, you know, they may not have known who they got it from, which one of the 8 million people, but they knew they had sex. Right. What you didn't know is if, you know, Am I getting into an elevator where four minutes ago someone sneezed? You know, we don't know that. Um, I thought I thought it was really nothing alike at all. Um, I mean, except it being, uh, you know, a pandemic. But it, it, I know that I know that I am in the minority of thinking it's nothing like AIDS. Well, just looking at not to belabor it, but I'm thinking of all of the creativity and the generation that was lost because of AIDS, and all of the art and cultural change that flowed from the people who lived to tell and those who were their comrades who brought forward stories and the way it really changed the culture as a before and after moment in terms of art and letters and things. And I'm wondering if you think this period of you know work from home and Zooming around the world is gonna have an artistic ripple effect as well. Well, there's no way to tell that, yeah. you know, now, I mean, uh, one big difference is that, you know, most of the people who uh, got AIDS were young, you know, uh, uh, you know, and so, uh, you know, that's not so true of this, of uh, Corona. Um, but also, I mean, you knew at the time, I knew at the time that, yeah. you know, I, I mean, uh, I, I was watching one artist after another die. I mean, it was, that you know, artists were in the forefront of getting AIDS, you know, so, um, you know, this, and, you know, it, this isn't true of this virus, you know. So I don't know what's going to come out. Having had to do a number of Zoom things, right. you know, <laughs> it's hard for me to imagine that anything would come out of Zoom. Like, I, I, it's like the, one of the worst inventions I've ever seen in my life. Like, it is so, 
I mean, I, you know, these kind of things I'm, like I'm doing now, well, not now, but like usually doing a big theater or something right. like that. Um, I did some virtual dates on Zoom, and it is the most dead thing yeah. imaginable. You know, I did The Tonight Show on Zoom. I did, it's like, I, I can't, I mean, I don't think, I know everyone thinks I'm a technophobe or something, which I'm not. I just hate any machines. But this <laughs> has nothing to do with any kind of performance because the audience is always a collaborator, right. you know? And if the audience is either, you know, a million people in little tiny postage stamps or you don't see them at all. Like I did one thing where I thought, well, there's like no one here except the person interviewing me who was at UCLA. And I said, so no one came? She said, what are you talking about? There's, <laughs> there's 4,500 people are watching this. <laughs> and I said, you know, to me, it seems like no one's watching it, you know? And you don't hear them. And you know, I did a couple of TV shows with no audience. It's, I think it's horrible. I mean, yeah. some people like it, I guess, but not me. So on the corona thing and coming to wherever we are in it now, I wonder if you've cracked the code on the mask wearing with the glasses fogging up. No. It, even, it was impossible. You know, I mean, uh, and I also had this other, you know, I put the mask on, I can't breathe, that's everyone. Mm -hmm. Okay? Then your glasses fog up, I can't see. And then, and there's a reason for that. But then I also can't hear, and there's no reason for that at all. You know, so that, like, for over a year, I was Helen Keller. <laughs> and it was like, and pretty early on, I think that the Times had an article of, you know, how to keep your glasses from fogging up. And the end of the article was, there's no way to keep your glasses from fogging up. It's totally impossible. Um, <clears throat> yes, as soon as... You know, they said we didn't have to wear masks. I couldn't get rid of my fast enough. Although I have one in my pocket because you never know. Yeah. All of a sudden, someone goes, you have to put a mask on. Then I put it on. But, you know, I will not miss it. But your hand hygiene game is le legendary. We know that you're, <laughs> you're a hand washer. Are there any hand washing tips? I was teaching my nephew what you're meant to hum, twinkle, twinkle, little star, happy birthday or something. Do you have any uh, grown-up mnemonics that you want to share with here's, us about? Here's what I've always done. This is not, you know, in fact, Aziz's mother, which is how I know Aziz. Um, I mean, I knew his mother way before Aziz was born. Um, uh, when this first happened, Aziz's mother said, who washes their hands 90 times a day except Fran? So I've, I have always done this. Um, and so uh, this is probably why I didn't get this virus, I have to say. Uh, so what I always do, I, I wash my hands in as hot water as you can stand mm -hmm. um, with a huge amount of soap, rubbing very hard for 45 seconds. Then I do it again. <laughs> okay? And I'm in perfect condition. So it obviously works. Also, I have never once in my entire life touched anything in the New York City subway system. <laughs> never. And usually I'm on the subway alone, but I was once on the subway with this guy I know, and he said, when we got out, he said, you didn't touch a single thing. I said, I never have. And I tell you something, if I have seen people drop things in the subway, one of the most shocking things I ever saw, I sat across from a woman with a baby. The baby had a pacifier in its mouth. Oh, no. It fell out of the baby's <laughs> mouth. The mother picked it up, went like this, and put it back in the baby's mouth. And I thought, either that child's going to drop dead right here, or he'll be 3,000 because he's just been exposed to every pathogen on the planet Earth. <laughs> but if I dropped the Hope Diamond in this, your subway system, I would say, it's the Hope Diamond, but you know what? I'm not touching that. <laughs> this is the news you can use portion of the evening. 45 seconds as hot as you can stand. Twice. And repeat. How do you manage to not touch anything on the subway? Are you like the subway surfer you know, you're good at? I am, like, it's very interesting. I happen, 
I know I'm not what you would call like a fantastic athlete. Mm -hmm. um, I happen to have really unbelievably great balance. And I actually once was on, you know, one of these 3,000, you know, foot boats of these rich people. Yeah. And the captain said, Miss Leibowitz, have you spent a lot of time on boats? I said, no. I hate boats, by the way. I said, no. He said, I said, why would you ask me that? He said, you have such great sea legs. Where did you learn to walk like that? And I said, the six train. <laughs> so I can stand on the train. I would never touch that pole. I see people touching that pole my yeah. whole life. I think, what is wrong with you? Like, just think about it. Like, don't think about it. So I can stand on the train, even in the middle of the train, yeah. um, without falling. So a few people running for New York City mayor may or may not have some yachts, but they have now famously uh, been asked by the New York Times edit board about the average price of a house in Brooklyn, and a few of them just completely whiffed it. I wonder what's worth the price of what it is now. Are you surprised by the amount that anything costs? Well, not anymore. But I mean, when I tell people what things used to cost, and when I say things, of course, I mean real estate, yeah. they are astonished by this. But what they never understand is, at the time, that was a lot. Yeah. You know, so I mean, that, you know, I mean, even in like 1970, when in 71, 72, when New York City was going bankrupt, although unbeknownst to me, because if you're totally broke, the city going bankrupt is a meaningless thing. Yeah. You know, but even then, it was still the most expensive place to live in the United States. You know, I mean, so it's always been incredibly expensive. When I tell someone, well, when I was that age, like uh, a townhouse on, let's say, West 10th, between 5th and 6th, mm -hmm. was like $50,000. So people go, that's, why didn't you buy one? Like, <laughs> like excuse me. Not only didn't I, I didn't know anyone who had $50,000. Like, I couldn't even, like, it was an unimaginable amount of money. Right. You know, so that, um, you know, Things I've never understood, and I've asked numerous people, oh, no one ever really explains it to me, why things always cost more than they used to, even though the thing doesn't improve in any way. You know, there was like, when I was a child, a pack of gum cost a nickel. A pack of gum now costs like almost $2. It's just gum. It's the exact same gum. Why did it go up in price? It's not like it's better gum, or it's in a better neighborhood with this neighborhood. It's much better now where this gum is. It's like, <clears throat> so things just go up in price for no reason at all. And people have to make more and more money, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's exhausting. You've been to some great parties we could all imagine with a lot of the glitterati, and I wonder for your thinking, what do you make of gender reveal parties? You know, I I really only know about them from reading about them, and you know, it's so interesting to me. They have this just at the moment where everyone is telling you there's no such thing as gender. So there's apparently no such thing as gender until you're born. Like, before you're born, gender. After you're born, no gender. So it's like, um, I mean, the thing that most shocked me, I'm sure not the only one, apparently one of those giant wildfires mm -hmm. in California was started by someone setting off fireworks in the middle of a huge forest. Yeah. So I think, like, these people... <laughs> See, these are the people that shouldn't have children, okay? So you have these horrible genes, you know, you're idiots, and now you're having a baby, so there could be another idiot in the world. Um, so I didn't know about these gender reveal parties. I don't understand the point of them, mm -hmm. you know, especially, as I said, since we're now supposedly in an era of no gender, right. an era where the thing that, not that you asked me, but what bothers you about that, friend? Okay, I'll tell you. <laughs> Here's what bothers me. What bothers me is... It's not that I have any, I don't care what other people do. 
I'm not even interested in it, let alone not care. So you think, you feel something, go ahead, do whatever you want. I have no interest in it. But plural pronouns for one person has <laughs> drives me out of my mind. Why just invent another word? Like I remember very well when people started using this. The New York Times, by the way, that now is like can't wait to put whatever new word comes along Tuesday, they have it Wednesday in the Times, <laughs> refused to use Ms. for years and years and years. No Ms. No Ms. Be, no, Miss or Mrs. And they refused to use it because who could pronounce it? Anyone <laughs> could pronounce it <laughs> except the people of the New York Times. Um, so we, there's a, unfortunately a meaning for they. Right. Okay? And it means more than one person. So... If you feel that you are in some way more than one person, but you are, in fact, one person, mm -hmm. make another word. I'm happy to use it. But I start reading something, usually in the Times, then it'll say they. This, it never stops. I think I misread it. I go, and as soon as I realize what it meant, I stop reading it. So even though no one knows that I'm boycotting this, I'm boycotting it. I'm boycotting it. it a lot of the times. So we are about to wrap things up. Just with my questions, no, calm down. There's more time. There's more time. There's more to be had. So if anyone would like to pose a question, I'm opening the floor now. And until one of you uh, gets a hand up, I'm going to squeeze another one in. Just based on uh, what you last said, I have a little thing that I'd like to come to terms with you about. So as much or as little as you'd like about some terms that have entered our collective lexicon, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts, starting with sex positivity. It, it, are you asking me what I think of it? What you think you mean, as of a term the term or as uh, a fact? Hey, go with it. I'm for sex. Pro-sex. I think I, I would imagine that most people are, so it would be better sex ne negativity. Okay, moving okay? on. Because it would be fewer people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Seemingly, right? Uh, what about the term trigger warning? You know, this is something I came to late, I have to say, though, of course, it was told to me out of college, mm -hmm. you know, where they invented it, apparently, right. like, without even asking. When they invent these things, I think, well, if you want to ask me a question, call and say, friend, what do you think of this? I would say, no, is what I would think of it. So someone asked me something about this at a college, it must be at least 10 years ago, and I didn't know what it was. And when they described it to me, I thought, are you kidding me? Like, how fragile could you be? You know, I mean... I forget who told me this. The, someone said this to me, I think it was last night, I can't think of what it was, um, that it used to be that people prepared their children um, for the world, and now they prepare the world for their children. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, um, you know, I, I, I mean, it doesn't look to me like this world they're going to grow up in, this world of no water, um, that they're going to really be able to be worried about how, like, slightly uncomfortable they may be feeling. Like, mm -hmm. you're uncomfortable, that's how you know you're awake. I mean, if someone said to me, please don't say this, I'm going to fall apart, I would think, okay, I won't say it. Also, I'm never going to see you again. <laughs> Solutions-based. Does anyone have a question? All right, I've got one more term. What about vaccine hesitancy? You know, as I said this to Aziz today when we were discussing this vaccine problem. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the vaccine is an IQ test. <laughs> okay, so get the vaccine, don't get the vaccine, I know what that means. I mean, I have to say, I find it astonishing. I mean, I really do. I mean, 
you would think after like, you know, four years of Trump and a year of Trump running for president that n you could not be surprised by, by stupidity. But like, I don't, I don't understand this at all. A, a couple weeks ago, I went on a Sunday night into Midtown to have dinner with friends of mine. I walked through Times Square. And there's a, what do you call it? A Krispy Kreme donut shop. Yeah, free donuts. And there was a line of like 100 people outside the donut shop. And I thought, that's bizarre. There must be these donut places all over the country. Why is it? <laughs> and when I got to the restaurant, I said, there's a line of like 100 people. And the girl I was having dinner with said, yes, you, if you get a vaccine, you get a free donut. <laughs> I said, really? I said, I live in a country where people have to be bribed with a donut to save their own life? It's like, they really don't understand what a vaccine is, apparently. You know, so that, you know, uh, yesterday, the president or maybe director, the head of Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in New York, um, was, had to defend herself mm. on the news um, because she made a, a rule requiring everyone who works in the hospital, who works in the hospital, okay? <laughs> Nurses, p medical people, that if they don't get a vaccine, they can't work in the hospital. Well, of course not. <laughs> you, know, you have to have a rule for this? I mean, so that, uh, I don't know what they're hesitant about. I, I, I don't understand, you know, I mean, they don't seem to understand what a vaccine is, right. you know, and this is just part of like apparently not understanding anything at all. What about the term woke? You know, I don't care about this kind of thing. You know, I mean, you know, I, I, I think it's kind of, I mean, it, 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 to me, it doesn't really matter. You know, I know a lot of people, especially old people, mm -hmm. like hate this term. You know, I don't think they really hate the term. I think they hate being challenged. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you're not thinking about this enough or you're not thinking about that enough. And, um, you know, people don't like to be questioned like that. Um, and so, you know, so it, it, it doesn't really matter to me. I don't think it's that important. It's not as important as vaccine hesitancy. That is really important. Because the thing about being stupid is it's not contagious. But, you know, the, but the virus is, so. Oh, I see you back here on the sofa. So, a question about the, the dumbing down of America. Do you think, when you talk about vaccine hesitancy, are we getting dumber as a society? Well, we're not. Social media? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> are we getting dumber, or is it just the social media and the pervasiveness of people being able to talk exposes mm. it more? No, it's not that yeah. we're dumb. They're dumb. There you, don't you see that? It's not that, it's that we did, look, until Trump, I didn't know, I knew there were stupid people in the country. I didn't know there were that many, you know? And how would you know that in New York? You wouldn't. You know, I know you're not supposed to say that. Everyone in the country is the same. All the states are the same. Alabama's an actual state, but I mean, come on. You know, so <laughs> I mean, you know, I think that, you know, we were unaware, or at least, <clears throat> let me say, now, when I say we, I mean I, like everyone else. Um, so, you know, I was unaware that there were this many stupid people. I had really had no idea. There are two kinds of people I was unaware of. This, this many mm -hmm. stupid people, and then during the height of the virus, when you would see, you know, read about constantly all these nurses and medical people who are working 400-hour shifts, you know, exposing themselves to this fatal virus, right. I didn't know there were this many saintly people. Because it turns mm -hmm. out I know zero saints and zero stupid people. So, <clears throat> uh, but there seemed to be like a very large number of these saintly people. And then I thought, well, 47% of the people in the country voted for Donald Trump. If 40% of the people are that stupid, then maybe 47% are that saintly. You're just not going to meet them in New York. <laughs>
I'm wondering if you have a view on the culture wars now. It's this everything that's old is new again in this latest iteration of the culture wars. Do you think it's any different than the last iteration? Well, in what, like, what specifically do you mean? We're looking at uh, legislatures across the country passing restrictions on voting and talking about whether transgender athletes should be competing against other folks in categories. And there, there seem to be some very clear battle lines that are drawn between that 47% you talked about and the rest of the folks. Well, I know you're not allowed to say this, um, but, you know, <clears throat> Uh, transgender athletes mm -hmm. is actually not as important as voting rights. Mm -hmm. I know you can't say that. I know that. I'm sure that I'm going to be killed for this. I'm not saying it's not important. Yeah. But I'm saying it's not nearly as important. And, and you know, transgender athletes is kind of new. You know, suppression of voting is old. Mm -hmm. You know, so that, you know, this is old stuff coming back, you know, and, I mean, being allowed to come back. It's not that people improved. You know, and people say, didn't people used to be better? You know, they weren't as horrible as these people are now. You know, human nature is horrible. Yeah. It's always been horrible. You know, that's why it's called human nature and not human art. <laughs> you know, the human species are horrible species, we have to admit. But, <clears throat> you know, that they get away with this stuff. And this stuff is so blatant. Yeah. You know, I mean, these Republicans, you know, in Congress, you know, every time I think about them or see them or read about them, I always think, because I've always thought about this, is why is the word shameful and shameless has the same meaning? You know, I mean, Mitch McConnell, one second, like says, Trump caused the riot in the Capitol, yeah. and two seconds later, votes against impeaching him. And no, we shouldn't investigate this, you know, because, and, <clears throat> you know, uh, I mean, that, that riot at the Capitol yeah. was really one of the most shocking things I've ever seen in my life, and I'm not a young girl, as you can see. So... Like, to see the Confederate flag in the Capitol right. was so unbelievable to me that, I mean, really, like, you know, I couldn't believe my eyes, you know, and that now it's just like, they're not going to, you know, it's fine. It was, these are just patriots. These are, so it's not like there weren't always these people, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's that they weren't, the internet enables them to find each other. That's very bad. You know, it's very bad that like maybe, you know, there'd be a couple people here, a couple people there, right. but they couldn't find each other. Now they find each other. And, you know, it's very dangerous. We have the internet of all. Oh, no, there's a question here. Yeah, I have two questions. Um, why were you kicked out of high school? And did your parents come to encourage your career? Um, uh, I was kicked out of high school, um, a private school. First, I, I didn't get kicked out of public school. You have to actually, like, burn the school down to get kicked <laughs> out of public school. Um, but the uh, guidance counselor at my public high school told my parents, and by parents I mean my mother, uh, <clears throat> that if I didn't go to private school, I would never get into college. Uh, so they sent me, there were only, when I was that age, private schools were single sex. So there were only two girls schools, or there were three girls schools. Um, uh, the one was for uh, smart waspy girls, one was for stupid waspy girls, um, and one was a very expensive and very academically difficult Catholic girls' school. So the Catholic school I never could have gotten into. They took Jews. You just had to go to mass. Um, the other two schools didn't take Jews, so it didn't matter. So I went to another school like 20 miles away, a deservedly unknown Episcopalian girls' school, and I got thrown out. No real um, reason was given. In other words, the headmaster sent a letter um, saying, um, 
she's a very bad influence on the other girls. Uh, and she is usurping my power. Uh, and I got thrown out. So that's why I got thrown out. Um, did my parents ever, what was the second question? My parents never forgave me for that. Okay, so my parents never forgave me for getting kicked out of high school. So, um, like someone once said to me, did your father like your book? And I said, I don't know, he never mentioned them to me. So, <clears throat> I mean, my parents were not horrible people, um, and my father was particularly a very lovely man, um, but they were incredibly conventional people. Um, they were first-generation Americans. They wanted certain things, you know, they didn't have like a lot of imagination. Um, so they really did not forgive me for getting kicked out of school. That was a thing that was like unimaginable, you know, to them because the uh, school was such an important thing to them. Um, I'm ha kind of happy, and not in retrospect, you know, happy that I got kicked out of high school because they should have, you know, thanked me because I, you know, saved them the expense of me getting kicked out of college, <laughs> which is what would have happened, you know, which would have been even more expensive. How's your notion of success changed from the girl who got asked to leave the other school to where you are now? I don't know. I, I, I never really thought about it that much. I know that's impossible now for people who are young. People who are young, <laughs> another thing about them that's different is they're so organized. Hmm. You know, they have all these goals and all these, you know, uh, they have things mapped out and they, uh, I mean, even the way that they have sex, like, you know, they put it in their phone or whatever, you know, the person has to be this and this and this and this and like, I was just, you know, I'm much more haphazard than that. So I didn't really have these kind of goals. Um, and, you know, I'm certain if I was young, I'd be using that thing for sex sounds fantastic to me. Like, I mean, like, it sounds like, that sounds really good. That sounds like, really, you mean like Chinese food? It just, they just bring it to the house. So it's like, um, you know, people said, who would do that? I said, well, if I was young, I would definitely, there's no question I would do that. I mean, um, but, but, I mean, that seems to me like probably the best thing of the internet, you know? It is, that and the cat memes, but yeah, it's not bad. I'm wondering about, uh, as we sit here in this summer season, if you have an opinion on Crocs versus flip-flops as the shoe of the summer. Really? You know, the thing, <laughs> um, are those the only two choices? <laughs> I, I would I really ask that if people, not everyone's feet are beautiful, you have to realize that, you know, or not everyone is beautiful. I mean, one thing just about the summer in general is that, at least in New York, the second it gets hot, all the people that you would never want to see naked take all their clothes off. It's like a law, you know? It's like the people with like the worst bodies, you think like, no. Yeah, sometimes I think like I look around and I think, is there a mirror famine in New York? Like, you know, it's, it, they're always saying that, that especially, you know, young girls, that, you know, they're very um, you know, hampered by having to live up to these ideals yeah, of yeah. beauty. And they have, you know, they're so, uh, you know, crushed by this, and I think they have so much confidence. Look how you look in those in those shorts. Are you insane? <laughs> Here's a blanket. Put it over you. Like, so, I mean, people wear flip flops in New York, as I'm sure you know, which I find astonishing. Yeah. Like, like, like you you could probably get like anything just from wearing flip flops in New York. So, um, Crocs, not. I don't think they're that great, you know, but. I, unfortunately, I'm not in charge of people's fashion choices. 
Unfortunate. Well, speaking of fashion choices, we are in what is one of the ancestral homes for the art of female illusion. And I'm wondering about if you have any thoughts on the juggernaut that is something like a RuPaul's Drag Race, where there now it's a form of high art. And an extension of that question is, if you were to walk down Commercial Street right now and see the Fran drag queen, what would be the essential elements that she would have to employ? <laughs> Um, I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> okay? So, the day's I mean, still young. <laughs> I, I will say that this was quite a while ago, maybe five or six years ago. Uh, a, a girl I know. Uh, Everyone's okay. Uh, um, see, if I was in Arkansas or Texas, I would think that was a shot. <laughs> um, uh, <clears throat> showed me a photograph of her daughter and the daughter's boyfriend on Halloween. And she said... My daughter's boyfriend went uh, out on Halloween dressed as you. And she showed me a picture of the boyfriend, of the daughter's boyfriend. And my daughter went dressed as Bill Cunningham, who was a photographer. Of course. So I said, um, I said, tell your daughter not to marry this boy. <laughs> <laughs> so there, do we have a question? Please. You know, not really. I mean, I have friends who already miss it, so, mm. which means that there are people who will complain about anything. <laughs> you know, um, uh, all the things that you know, uh, you know, sounded like I would like them. You know, in other words, like my whole life, I always said, I wish all I had to do in my life was lie on the sofa and read, and then I could. Boom. But you know. I didn't mean this way, you know, so that I wish there were no tourists. I didn't mean this way, so that there were some great things, but since they came along with all this tragedy, I didn't mean that way. So I wouldn't say that I miss the, the pandemic, no. And I don't miss not wearing the mask. And I'm only hoping that there's not some new virus growing somewhere, you know, where because of course I have, as many people do, you know, enough masks to last me through the next pandemic. Um, and I'm hoping that when I die, someone finds them in my apartment and goes, what are these? That's my hope. Mask and toilet paper. There was another question. You know, I always thought about that. I thought, like, <laughs> what does that possibly mean? What power did you think you had? <laughs> You're the headmaster of this little, totally, like, nothing girls' school. So that, you know, whatever that power was you thought you had, you never had to begin with. No. I mean, uh, I got back at this headmaster, I must say, um, by when I was, um, I don't know, about 21 or something like that. Uh, there were these, there was a publishing house that published pornography. Pornography used to be written. I know, impossible <laughs> to imagine. There were actual books. And that, you know, everyone I knew was like trying to find ways to make money and someone said, I can't think of the name of it. I think it was Midwood Books or something like that. There's this publishing house. Mm. Um, they pay $500, which is like six months rent. They pay $500 for a book. Uh, you go to this place, you go to the office, they give you a piece of paper that has what has to be in the book. 
what, how often it has to be in the book, whatever. And um, if you write one of these books and you turn it in, you get $500. So I went and got this, and I thought, you know, this is going to be easy. Of course, it was impossible. So it ended up with a dozen people all, like, chiming in with this thing. Um, and when the book was finally finished, which I actually wrote none of it, as far as I can recall, um, <laughs> The name I used for the author was the name of my headmaster. <laughs> <laughs> and the book was called House of Leather. <laughs> best served cold, best served cold. House of Leather, someone got to find that on eBay. I'm sure it's out there. Is there anything else? The favorite place I've ever traveled to? You know, I'm, I'm really too old to have favorites. You know, I mean, favorite, like, because there's too much to choose from. I mean, I would say that my favorite, you know, country um, is Italy. And that is like everyone's favorite country because it's the best country. But when, I, when the best, I don't mean the greatest, the most moral, the most, I mean the most pleasurable. It's the most pleasurable. And unlike Italians, I like the entire country. Because as you know, no matter what part of Italy you go to, wherever you came from, the people where you are, live where you are now, say, how could you stand to be in Rome? It's horrible. It's the worst place in the world. Florence, don't go to Florence. It's not. So <laughs> I find the entire country to be totally delightful. And if I spoke Italian, which I don't, I'm monolingual. And I've spent like months and months of my life in Italy. And I've not picked up one word. Because I do so people say, how could you not speak Italian? You're here all the time. I say, because I don't listen. I do not listen. Like, when people speak any language other than English, I just turn it, tune it out. I don't listen. I become like a three-month-old child. So, except for food words, which I can read in any language in any alphabet. So I can, like, look at a menu. It could be in Sanskrit. And I would say, oh, look, they have trout. <laughs> so, I mean, I th Italy is, you know, if, as a, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly live in a country where I didn't speak the language because even though, of course, everyone speaks to me in English because mm -hmm. otherwise I wouldn't understand them, the really interesting things people say are things that you're overhearing. So if I, you know, I'm only really interested in overheard conversation. You know, I mean, I could be having dinner with Oscar Wilde, but I'm really listening, like, to the, to the waitress behind me, like, what she said, so that um, I would be unable to do that. You ever overheard anything great lately that you remember? <laughs> no, it's not that you overhear things great. I think the point of overhearing things is that you're not supposed to hear them. It's the act of listening. Yes. You know, I know this sounds, doesn't sound true. Uh, unless it only sounds true if you've really like paid attention to this. Hmm. I can't decide. I can't decide who I dislike the least <laughs> is the possible. Is that 20 people are running for mayor. 20. Now, first of all, if I was in charge, you would, that, that's a ridiculous number of people. It's, it's, it, it's, there shouldn't be like more than four or five people allowed to be in a primary. You know, I mean, yeah. 20 people is why Donald Trump became the president, by the way. It's, it's why he got the nomination. So we have 20 people running the Democratic primary, which is the mayor's race, we hope. I mean, I suppose Curtis Lee could become the mayor. Um, but, uh, you know, there's some people that are kind of okay, you know. But, you know, truthfully, in the whole time I've lived in New York, in 50 years, there's only been two mayors I liked. And so... You know, no matter who the mayor is, no matter how much I hate the mayor, you know, for years I would say, I could never hate a mayor as much as Ed Koch. Mm -hmm. Then we had Giuliani. 
I thought I could never hate a mayor as much as Giuliani. Then we had Bloomberg. You know, <clears throat> I could never hate a mayor as much as Bloomberg. Now we have de Blasio. The, the thing about de Blasio that's very important, I think, is that he's the only uniting figure in the country <laughs> because everyone hates him. Like, literally, old people, young people, rich people, poor people, black people, white people. He is universally hated. So that you could strike up a, a friendship almost with anyone just by saying, de Blasio. Everyone goes, ah, oh, de Blasio. I mean, really, like when they have, you know, these, these problems that they have in the street, you know, with the New York City police who, whose feelings are apparently so hurt they've decided not to be police anymore. Um, <clears throat> you know, even like... Uh, if someone was kidnapping someone at gunpoint, you know, and the cop said to the kidnapper, de Blasio, he would go, de Blasio, and he would <laughs> drop his gun. What is the best way to strike up a conversation with a stranger, if, if that's something you're into? But like, what, what's a great conversation starter opener with, besides de Blasio for someone who may not be from New York? Why would you want to strike up a conversation with someone who may not be from New York? <laughs> Next. <laughs> Moving on. Yes. I just can't imagine living anywhere else. I first of all can't imagine I'd be allowed to live anywhere else. So I mean that's a big part of it, you know. So like to me, in a certain way, the rest of the country is kind of like my headmaster from, you know, a high school. Um, I feel they would like throw me out of the rest of the country. Um, it never even, like, at the beginning of the pandemic when a lot of people left New York, you know, I mean, New Yorkers, you know, I don't mean left for good, but I mean, so several people did invite me to their houses, you know, much nicer, of course, than my house, and so, uh, I thought, you know, I don't really want to be a good guest. You know, I'd rather be a bad guest to my own apartment, and believe me, I was. <laughs> like, I was a really bad guest to my own apartment. Um, but, I, like, it never occurred to me to leave. I mean, it certainly would never have occurred to me to leave during the pandemic. I felt I was in charge of guarding it because I thought, like, who knows? Like, the real estate developers may look around and say, everyone's gone. Let's knock down the New York Public Library and put up a condo. And so Fran would be there to stop them from doing this. Um, so that, um, you know, I mean, people always say to me also, you know, you say you love New York, but you complain about it all the time, <laughs> you know? And that's because I'm worried about it, mm. you know? So I'm, I feel protective of it. It doesn't mean I love everything about New York, but I mean, I don't know why, you know, I mean, John Updike, who I don't believe I've ever quoted before, because, you know, but John Updike once uh, wrote, I guess, um, that uh, people, New Yorkers think that people who don't live in New York are somehow just kind of kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I'm looking to you all, but I'm also, <clears throat> Curious to know everyone from what Katie Couric to LeVar Burton and uh, some football player, you know, big sports fan, uh, have all stood in for Alex Trebek on Jeopardy. I wonder if that's a job you'd be happy to explore. You know, I am a Jeopardy watcher, that is true. Mm -hmm. and, and if I'm home yeah. at seven o'clock, um, which of course during the pandemic I was, um, and the phone rings, between 7 and 7.30, I think, are you out of your mind? <laughs> and I have to say, you know, I know that I just said something basically nice about Joe Biden, but a few weeks ago, Joe Biden gave a speech at 7.15 in the middle of Jeopardy. <laughs> I thought, well, that's it for you. <laughs> um, uh, no, I, uh, I, you may not be aware of this, but they shoot Jeopardy in L.A. 
So no, would I like that job? No. <laughs> no, thank you. I can't believe the number of, I've seen all these, I mean, maybe I didn't see all of them, I saw most of right, the, right. the guest hosts. Um, so far to me, funnily enough, one of the best people hmm. was the producer, the executive producer who was a guest host for two weeks. And I thought, he's fine. Look, use him, you know. I mean, the worst was that, I can't think of his name, he's like a fake doctor. Dr. Oz. Yeah, I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> but, but first of all, why is he still allowed to be called a doctor? You know, <clears throat> so he was the worst. Um, there seemed to be, like, I don't think LeVar, LeVar Burton has not been on yet. I, I guess it, maybe it hasn't aired. I know yeah. he's taped and all the right. jazz. But, but it, we, I haven't seen haven't I have no see. inside LeVar Burton information, but yeah. I have not seen it yet. <laughs> um, uh, I don't think they're going to put it to a vote. No. You know, so that um, so, yeah, some of them were better than others. But it's not really, I, I know this you know, is probably not a thing you're supposed to say. It's not that important who the host is. You know, like, I know Alice Trebek was a saint, but I didn't really watch it because of Alice Trebek. I watch it because for my entire life, every week I win tens of thousands of dollars on Jeopardy, mm -hmm. and yet I still have no money. <laughs> so, you know... They, except there's certain categories. I mean, you know, when I see the category South American rivers, I think forget it. <laughs> sports. And I think it's so unfair when they have sports questions. Yeah. I mean, it's really unfair. And, and sometimes I'm so shocked that people know the answers. Like in 1941, who hit the I think no one's going to know. <laughs> but they all know it. It's like. Yes. Well, that's why they were firing instructions at me all the time. Um, because, you know, truthfully, if you're just, you know, obeying people all the time, you have plenty of time to think. I mean, that's not usually the result of obeying people all the time. It wasn't, um, it wasn't just me. This was the way children were raised in the 1950s. You know, I mean, I don't mean to, like, say that my parents were unusual. They were, it, there was nothing unusual about my parents, let me assure you. Um, we were afraid of our parents. I don't mean physically. My parents were not uh, mean. They weren't, like, hitting us or anything. But, uh, you know, we were afraid of all adults. You know, we didn't have the sense that, these, that things were ours. You know, like, the house. Like, I didn't think this was my house, you know. Like, we weren't, we, I mean, not all children, we weren't even allowed to take food without asking. You know, I mean, was that our food? Did we go to work? You know, so that, like, here's... I'm gonna wrap up my childhood for you. Here's what my childhood was like. I would say to my mother, can I please have an apple? She would say, may I please have an apple? <laughs> I would say, may I please have an apple? And she would say, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> We're closing in on our last five minutes, so I encourage you, if there's something burning that you'd like to know, that this is your moment. In lieu of that, please. Oh. I didn't hear what you said. Do I let? I did. Someone just asked me that before, um, I, and I thought he asked me if I knew him. <laughs> and I said, I'm not that old. <laughs> um,
I like his work, but I'm not as sensitive as you are. I'm sorry to hear you. I said and didn't say anything. No, no, I didn't say it. No, I like his work, but I'm not as sensitive as you are. So I can't say I really felt him. I'm always surprised that people enjoy teaching. Mm. You know, I mean, this is something Tony really surprised. Tony taught almost she her whole life, yeah. even long after she had to. And I was always trying to get her to quit. Yeah. I was always saying, Tony, it's a waste of your time. You know, yes, you're wasting your time. You know, teaching these spoiled brats at Princeton, like, <clears throat> you, you, know, you should be writing. Or if you don't feel like writing, just like lying around, you know? But I mean, yeah. you know, and she loved teaching, Tony. Yeah. And, and I, she really, I hate being in a school. Mm. You know, the academic environment, that's it. But Tony loved it, and she had incredible patience, and she would, um, and I did once ask her, um, because I don't know how long she taught at Princeton, a long time, but before yeah. that, she, she taught for many years when she had to teach. Um, and so her, her uh, writing classes at Princeton were impossible to get into, you know, because Princeton was all small. And, right. um, and so she had, but she had many students. Many of Tony's uh, writing students had quite nice careers. But I did, I said to her, what do you teach them? How yeah. can you teach, like, I have a lot of friends who teach writing. You know, because that's what writers usually have to do, you yeah. know, be, because they can't make enough money writing. And you can't teach this, you mm -hmm. know. So I always say to her, what do you teach them? And she used to always say, I teach them how to read. And mm -hmm. I used to think, really? They don't know how to read by the time they're 18? <laughs> um, and I did once, you know, ask her, and I said yeah. that, you know, many of her students had very nice careers. Um, but I did once ask her, in all the time you've taught, have you ever had a student who was really good? Yeah. I mean, really good. I don't mean has a nice career. Right, I don't mean but, okay. I mean, these people are already the most privileged people on the planet Earth, you know. Um, and she said no. Really? Yeah. That was enough. Because of course not. Because in any given time, you know, how many people are really, really good. good? You know, having a really good career doesn't mean you're really good. Right. You know, how many people are really good? And then what are the chances they're also going to Princeton? Yeah. So, um, and, you know, uh, it's, and also Princeton, as you know, is very expensive. Um, which is another thing I used to argue with Tony about. Tony just loved schools. You know, um, I was saying, you know, I forget how much Princeton was, you know, $60,000 a year, some insane amount of money. Yeah. And Princeton is very rich. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they have this big endowment. And I said, like, it should be free. You know, what are they doing with all this money? You know, either should be free or the president of Princeton should go to the moon with Jeff Bezos. Like, <laughs> you know. Speaking of Tony and her teaching, I wonder, has anyone that you're interested in sought your mentorship to say, hey, if you're this Renaissance woman that we're having now, all those masters had apprentices and people following them, who is trying to get in with you now and say, teach me your ways? <laughs> no one has actually come out and asked me that. Um, so uh, I have nothing to teach people, <laughs> really, nothing at all. I think we've all been taught a great deal this evening. I think some of you in the room would agree with me. Is there anyone else who'd like to have some mystery demystified before we get out of here? I was wondering if you could talk about ranked choice voting. You didn't seem to be very fond of it in New York. It's true. I voted against it. It was on the ballot, What's you know, and I voted against it, and I voted against it because all the politicians were for it. <laughs> and I, I didn't really understand why, 
But I thought, they're for it, I'm against it. Because they're obviously for it because they feel that it would in some way help them. And I in no way want to help them. So I voted against it, and now we have it. Um, I kind of understand it. I mean, let me put it this way. I understand it a lot better than I do Bitcoin. You know, so that, like, Bitcoin, I don't understand at all, and I never will. So I realized, like, my whole high school life was a misery of algebra, which I never could do. I could never understand. And then for, like, decades, there was no algebra. And now there's Bitcoin, which is like the algebra of adulthood. Um, <laughs> so that ranked choice voting is not as hard as algebra or Bitcoin. Um, but, you know, uh, I don't like it. I, don't, I also think it may be one of the reasons it encourages 20 candidates in a primary. You know, so I do want to say, I've never said this before, it's never come up before, mm -hmm. I see that Rachel Maddow is here. Tony loved Rachel Maddow so much that we had many fights about this because I would say, Tony, stop watching this, it's making you so, she was sick, you know, she was in bed watching TV all the time. Tony, this is making you so upset, you know, because of all this politics. And she'd go, Rachel, I love Rachel. Turn Rachel on. I would say, Tony, let's not watch Rachel Maddow. <laughs> because Rachel Maddow is going to tell us all this horrible stuff about Trump. And you're going to be really stressed. And you're not well. And I'd like to keep you going a little longer. And no, no, we have to watch Rachel. Or I would come in, and she'd be watching Rachel Maddow. I would say, Tony, could we turn this off? No, we'll talk after Rachel. So I just wanted to convey that to you. <laughs> yes, you could have like skipped the, this stuff with Donald Trump. <laughs> well, thank you for not making it up and keeping everyone honest. And thank you for this wonderful time that we've all had, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.